Hey guys, it's James. And Samuel. And we are back for another week in Anjo. Yeah, this time covering uh, September 14th to the 20th. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into it, just a quick little kind of announcement. Uh, My work schedule has changed. Uh, Instead of Monday through Friday, I am now working Sunday through Thursday, so... Work is going to interfere with both episodes instead of just down the rabbit hole, so expect me to be fucky on Obik and Anjo starting today. I mean, it shouldn't <laughs> be that bad, though. Shouldn't be. Because we, we record Anjo at night yeah. on Sunday, so it shouldn't be too bad. We'll just have to filter and build the structure the night before. Yeah. But it won't be too bad. We got this. So, uh, kicking off the episode... This first article was posted by Jason Booth on Sunday, September 15th. The article comes from CNY Central and was written by Joshua Pietzold. The headline is, Governor Cuomo takes executive action to ban sale of flavored e-cigarettes. So Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Sunday that he has taken emergency executive action to ban the sale of flavored e-cigarettes in New York. Because this is a pressing, urgent matter. Very pressing. It's an emergency. But uh, Cuomo said that the state health commissioner would be making a recommendation this week to the state public health and health planning council. The council can issue emergency regulations that go into effect in as soon as two weeks. State police and the Department of Health have also been directed to immediately partner to ramp up enforcement efforts against shops that sell e-cigarettes to underage kids. The partnership will focus on undercover investigations throughout the state to find shops that are selling vaping products to underage kids and teens. Cuomo also announced he is advancing legislation to ban deceptive marketing of e-cigarettes to teens and children. So, it's almost like they believe that the issue is the legal market. Yeah. Um, When I was in high school and kids would get their hands on cigarettes... It wasn't because they were going to the gas station and buying cigarettes. It was people that were of age going in there and buying cigarettes and then selling them to teens. Like, this isn't going to solve anything. All it's going to do is fuel the black market even further because now just instead of teens relying on the black market, you're going to have teens and adults relying on the black market. And I'm going to help fuel that shit. There's actually... (laughs) No, he's not. This is not an admission of guilt. (laughs) Fuck off, James. <laughs> Damn it. I will help you get that juice. No, he won't. Secure the juice. He won't. <laughs> it's jokes for legal reasons. But uh, you were saying earlier that this actually ties in heavily to Big Tobacco. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few details on this particular ban, and they're they're not doing a carpet bomb ban with this. They're ban- They're banning a lot of vaping stuff. But they do have exemptions for a few small, a few small things, predominantly jewels, the the stupid little shitty ones. They're they're not banning those. Those get an exemption. Now, at first, you may wonder, well, why those? The reason for this is because Jewel was originally Big Tobacco's um, initial break into the competition when they tried to get in on that vape market they uh they put out the jewel to try and get in and i don't know if any of you guys fucking vape but jewels are bullshit they cannot keep up with other uh vaping companies and such so it's it's mostly used by teenagers and not because it's a quality product but because it's small and easy to conceal and take into the high school bathroom yeah and like i i tested using a jewel for a little while 
My main issue was it was not cost effective in comparison. No. Like, they're nice. They hit really hard, which is like, I, I, that's why I vape. That's one of the reasons. I mean, nicotine addiction. But one of the reasons I vape is for the, the burn in the back of your throat. And the jewels are really good at that. And that's about all they're good for. Like, the, uh, the pods are about $5 a pop. And they contain about as much nicotine as a pack of cigarettes. So the cost is literally the same. Like, a lot of people swap to vaping to save money. And jewels, they don't save shit. You don't save shit with a jewel, because like, and also I was using mine like on and off. I was still mainly using my box mod, but just on and off usage of a jewel, I was burning a pod every two days. It's like, yeah, that's I'm I'm not doing this. I'm not fucking spending twenty five thirty dollars a week when I can spend thirty dollars on juice that'll last me a month with my box mod. I mean, you may as well just go to cigarettes. Yeah, but the thing is, jewel is getting an exemption from this ban. Because it's big tobacco, and I would not doubt big tobacco companies are lobbying for an exemption. Oh, definitely. So they, well, they're you know that they're behind the ban in general, yeah. like because nobody's saying shit about cigarettes. Like we, cigarettes are still very widely available on the market, but vapes in in particular are going to be banned. It's, yeah, but they haven't banned cigarettes. It's because big tobacco is a multi-billion-dollar industry that is lobbying the government to basically ban competition. Yeah, it's it's classic market funneling. It's just crony capitalism. Uh, they can't compete, so they kill the competition. Yeah. So moving forward, this next one was posted by Jason Booth on Sunday, September fifteenth. The article comes from Yahoo, and it was written by Arthi Swaminathan. Uh, the headline is, Trump tariffs are set to cost U.S. households $2,000 in 2020, research group finds. Tariffs are expected to cost American households more than $2,000 per year in 2020, according to a recent report from the National Foundation for American Policy. The Arlington-based nonprofit, which looked at the effect, uh, the effect of tariffs on the overall economy and consumers, estimated that by the end of 2019, the trade duties imposed by U.S. Uh, President Donald Trump, quote, will have cost the American, uh, the average household, $1,315 over a two-year period. And, quote, when adding the tariffs in effect and the tariffs set to go into effect by the end of 2019, the costs of the tariffs to consumers will be $259.2 billion, the report stated. Quote, that is, the tariffs will cost the average household $2,031 per year and will be recurring so long as the tariffs stay in effect. The $2,031 number is higher than other estimates because tariffs keep increasing. In May, the New York Fed estimated an $831 cost to households from tariffs. J.P. Morgan estimated that tariffs uh, that went into effect on September 1st would cost American households up to $1,000 per year. Additional tariffs on China went into effect on October 1st, and, uh, and more tariffs are set to kick in on December 15th. Quote, if all tariffs threatened by the Trump administration are imposed, combined with the current tariffs in place, the annual cost to the U.S. consumers will be $461.1 billion, and the cost for the average household would be $3,614, the report said. But, but wait a second, but he cut my taxes! What do you <laughs> mean he's costing me more money? He cut my taxes! Yeah, but, and the thing is, if you think about this... In the the aspect of the average household usually makes, I think, about twenty to fifty grand a year. 
this is a big fucking chunk of change. Yeah. Like, this is a lot of money. Like, if, if suddenly I was expending an extra $3,600 a year or even $2,000 a year, like, that's a dent. Like, that imagine, hurts. Imagine having to buy a used car every year. Yeah, that would, that's basically me losing at least two to three paychecks every year. That's a that month. Fu- that just for the, these tariffs. It's some shit. But it's... That's, that's roughly a month, which is roughly a twelfth of your income. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a fucking lot. Just going to new tariffs. Yeah. That's... And people praise him for his tax cuts. Yeah. <laughs> Republicans, like it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> Republicans love him for his tax cuts, and they're like, "Oh well, I'm saving so much money. Fuck you! No, you're not. <laughs> not anymore. You're you're getting you're saving some, and what you're saving is being spent under another name. And yeah. actually, you're spending more. You're actually losing more money now than you were prior to the tax cuts. Yep. Ain't that something? That's how it works. They butter you up with some tax cuts, and then they throw in some tariffs. Yeah. But moving forward, this next article was posted by Ryan Bauer on Sunday, September 15th. comes from Reason, and the author of the article is Christian uh, Britschke. The headline is, California passes statewide rent control despite a massive housing shortage. On Wednesday, California lawmakers approved AB 1482, which caps rent increases at 5% uh, per year uh, plus inflation and prevents landlords from evicting tenants without citing a government-approved reason. Wednesday's vote makes California the latest state to pass a rent control bill. Oregon passed a statewide cap on rents in February. In June, the New York legislature passed a bill strengthening existing rent controls in New York City while giving other cities in the state the ability to pass their own rent regulations. Economists and other policy experts have long criticized rent control for reducing the supply and quality of rental housing in the long run. California's rental control bill is no exception, says Michael Hendricks, state and policy director at the Manhattan Institute. Quote, what we are going to get is a reason for landlords to convert apartments to condos, says Hendricks. Quote, the net result of that is potentially more units being taken off the market and long term this housing crisis getting worse, not better. Hendricks argues that landlords, when faced with limits on how much they can raise their rents, will simply take their rental units off the market, converting them into condominiums that can be sold at market price. A study of rent control in San Francisco published in the journal American Economic Review this month found that, quote, while rent control prevents displacement of incumbent renters in the short run, the the lost rental housing supply likely drove up market rents in the long run, ultimately undermining the goals of the law. So all this is going to do is, being that they're going to have a a, a pin on rent, they're trying to make the control low enough for lower income people to be able to afford it. But all that's going to end up doing the landlords know they're not going to get the money they want, so if they sell it as a condo, they'll get the money. Well, yeah. now they're selling it, and the only people they're going to be able to buy are going to be higher income. So it's forcing lower income people to not be able to get a house that much easier. Yeah, it's going to make the housing shortage worse because there's less places to rent from. Everything's yeah. owned. And the thing is, if they're selling it at market price, it's probably going to be pretty expensive, especially in comparison to, to rent. Mm-hmm. So... It's going. It's it's going to make it so that only the higher income people are getting houses, and there's obviously not enough higher income people there. So they're going to be pushing people out. They're 
I'm I'm seeing California, the whole damn state of California becoming a ghost town. <laughs> That's what I'm seeing. The whole fucking state well, is going to be nothing but tumbleweeds. A lot of a lot of people have been leaving California. Well, God and damn the, it. The main reason, the main issue with that is they take their voting habits with them and basically try to create new California in another state. Can they please just stay in California? They've they're running that place into the ground. Please stay there. They want to spread their cancer. They Why? are a can- they're like a cancer. They want to spread. Why? But this next article is posted <laughs> by Ryan Bauer on Monday, September 16th. The article comes from Reuters. And uh, the reporting was done by Lawrence Frost and the editing by Richard Lowe. Uh, the headline is, France and Germany agree to block Facebook's Libra. France and Germany have agreed to block Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency, the French finance ministry said on Friday. In a joint statement, the two governments affirmed that, quote, no private entity can claim monetary power which is inherent to the sovereignty of nations. Well, <laughs> French, finance, uh, French finance minister Bruno Le Maire said on Thursday that Facebook's new cryptocurrency should not be allowed to operate in Europe while concerns persist about sovereignty and uh, persistent financial risks. So in other words, just like with every other government, they're terrified of losing their monopoly on currency. Yeah. That's their only claim to power is their claim to money. And as soon as someone comes in and says, hey, we have money too. No, you don't. Shut up. Pay him no attention. You can't do this. <laughs> Why would you do this? And, just, then, and that's when people realize that claiming to own a, mon- own a currency is just as simple as claiming to own a currency. Yeah. It's literally that easy. And the fun part about crypto <laughs> is anyone with the know-how on how to create it can create it. So yeah. that's what scares them. And I love just seeing how terrified governments are of crypto. Of, of Facebook, of all things. Facebook's yeah, Libra. who's usually gagging on the dicks of governments all around the world. It's like, why are you worried about them? <laughs> I hope to see a day when we have more cryptocurrencies, like independent cryptocurrencies, than we do genders. <laughs> so you want three cryptocurrencies? <laughs> I'm sorry. But... Uh, <laughs> This next article is posted by Jason Booth on Monday, September 16th. The article comes from the National Review, and it was written by Jack Crow. The, uh, the headline is, New Jersey will refuse to do business with banks and retailers that resist stricter gun control measures. New Jersey's Democratic governor, Phil Murphy, is expected to sign an executive order Tuesday, which would be last Tuesday, that will leverage the state's purchasing power. Wait, was it last Tuesday? Yeah, it was last Tuesday. That will legislate or leverage the state's purchasing power to coerce gun retailers, manufacturers, and financial institutions to comply with a more stringent gun control regime. Under the executive order, the state, which purchases an estimated $70 million in firearms and related equipment annually, will refuse to do business with gun manufacturers and retailers that lack policies that deny guns to people with a history of mental illness or domestic abuse, the New York Times first reported. Retailers that wish to keep the state's business will be required to, quote, prevent, detect, and screen for the transfer of firearms to straw purchasers or firearm traffickers. Murphy's order will also deny the roughly $1 billion in financial transaction fees the state pays annually to banks that have relationships with gun manufacturers and retailers that adhere to permissive policies. New Jersey already has strict gun control laws in place that require retailers to perform background checks, but the new policy will apply to out-of-state companies that are not bound by New Jersey laws. 
So this is basically New Jersey trying to, like, be the federal government. Like, haha, I am spreading my power beyond my state. <laughs> yeah. But uh, something fun that Jason had actually mentioned in posting this article was, I cannot remember which manufacturer it was, but they, their general policy as they go as a company, if, if a state has anything for gun control, if they have stricter gun control and don't want citizens getting guns... They don't sell guns to the law enforcement of that state. <laughs> like, okay, your people can't have guns, your cops can't have guns. That's beautiful. That's that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I wish that all gun manufacturers would do that. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, the people can't have them? Neither can your cops. <laughs> that would be... The world would be a better place. <laughs> right? Right? <clears throat> but uh, fuck New Jersey. Yeah. They're, they're turning into California now. Yeah, like, they're really stretching with that. Maybe that's where all those Californians moved. They're going to New Jersey. Fucking hell. A lot of them are going to Texas. Why? uh, Yeah, I really feel bad for Texans. Poor Texas. But, uh, yeah, all the poor Mexicans there can be belittled and looked down upon by the Californians that think that they're speaking for them and standing up for them, when in reality... They don't even speak Spanish. (laughs) How can you speak for me if you don't speak Spanish? Oh, it's that classic, that classic left, like far left wing, subtle racism that they don't even fucking realize that they're perpetuating. I know I'm superior to you, but so I'm I gonna can speak help. for you. It's like yes, yeah, you can't speak for yourself, so I'm gonna speak for you and be upset for you. I'm like go fuck yourself. But this next article is posted by Jason Booth on Tuesday, September seventeenth. The article comes from the Des Moines Register and was written by Aaron Calvin. The headline is, this college game day sign holder uh, asked for beer money. Now he's donating $11,000 to the UI Stead Family's Children, uh, Family Children's Hospital. And article starts out with an editor's note. Uh, Carson King has now raised a total of over $225,000. Jesus Christ. After Bush Light and Venmo agreed to match the amount raised through his campaign. The story was also given a boost on Scott Van Pelt's ESPN show article continues when altoona's carson king 24 held up a sign that read bush quote bush light supply needs replenished and requested funds saturday's college game day uh, stop in ames he was hoping he'd get a little money for beer what he ended up with was about eleven thousand dollars that he's now donating to the university of iowa stead family children's hospital Got a little bit of wholesome news for That's you That's fucking wholesome. God damn, that warms my damn heart. But yeah, he had he had a sign that said, um, it said Bush Light Supply Needs Replenished, and it had his Venmo information on it. And people just started pouring in money, and then once it re- once people he announced what he was going to do with it, Bush Light and Venmo steps in and matched all the donations. That's like, fucking fuck awesome. Yeah. But that's, this right here, friends and fam, is volunteerism in action. Yeah. People that is are all, what it is. oh, but without the government, what welfare programs are going to take care of people? This right here. This, and that didn't even take very long. No. That was probably just a couple of hours, it was maybe. Just, yeah, it was pretty quick that it happened. And given it's not, it's not a sustainable source of income for uh, people that need that kind of help, but it'll at least give them a little bit of time to feel alive and be human for a little mm-hmm. while. Well, that's one of the things I love about, you know, uh, Liberty Memes in particular, like that Facebook page. They are really good. Like, they have a Patreon set up uh, to collect donations to help people, but they also will share little GoFundMes and campaigns every so often, like, you know, for volunteerists to step in financially and help people out. And it's a beautiful fucking thing to see. 
But uh, this next article is from Leanne Jones, and it was posted on Thursday, September 19th. The article comes from CNN and was written by Ryan Pryor. The headline is, Illinois is expunging marijuana convictions from nearly 800,000 criminal records. God damn. So some more wholesomeness. God damn. So if you've been arrested for weed in Illinois, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker has uh, just signed HB 1438 this week, which makes cannabis legal in the state for individuals 21 and over, along with sweeping criminal uh, justice reforms designed to help those whose lives have been upended by the state's drug laws. In addition to legalizing marijuana, the 610-page bill offers relief to the roughly 770,000 residents of the state with marijuana-related offenses on their criminal records, according to the Marijuana Policy Project. The state's new Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which it's sad that they're taxing it, but it's a government, what the fuck do you expect, which takes effect in 2020, allows people to automatically receive clemency for convictions up to 30 grams of cannabis. Those convicted with larger amounts from 30 to 500 grams can petition a court to have the charge lifted. The bill defines expunge to mean to, quote, physically destroy the records or return them to the petitioner and to obliterate the petitioner's name from any official index or public record or both but it doesn't require the physical destruction of circuit court files. I like that he used the word obliterate. <laughs> that's like... It's top, a very underused word. That's some top professional judicial terms right obliterate. there. Obliterate. Obliterate it. Obliterate like, these fucking fuck. records. That's... Now... Obliterate my records, daddy. I, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I, it, it sucks that these, these records all happen in the first place. That's all bullshit, but... At least this guy <clears throat> is doing something about it. Yeah, he, they're actually taking a step in the right direction. Because a lot of, there are several states that, you know, they've legalized marijuana and then they don't do anything about the pre-existing drug charges. It's like, no, if you're going to fucking legalize it, forgive the drug charges. Yeah. Like. Forgive and forget. Shit, I'd say even compensate the people that were fucking imprisoned. There you go. It's like, this shit shouldn't have been illegal in the first place. But, um... This brings us to our first wild card of the night, and it is our Joker card. This was posted by Ryan Bauer on Monday, September 16th. Article comes from Fox News and was written by Greg Ree. Oh, um, boy. That's beautiful, actually. Greg Ree. Greg Ree. <laughs> I was thinking Greg Ree, but okay. Beautiful name. The headline is, California adds Iowa to travel ban over refusal to fund gender transitions. California announced last week that it has added Iowa to the list of states on its ever-expanding travel ban list because of that state's new prohibition against funding gender transition surgeries under Medicaid. The announcement by State Attorney General, uh, State Attorney General Xavier Becerra means that as of October 4th, California will no longer offer taxpayer-funded trips to Iowa for any public employee or student at a state-run university. Becerra's authority came from a 2016 California law signed by the then-Governor Jerry Brown that bars state-funded travel to other states that undercut LGBT rights. The blacklist already included Alabama, Kentucky, North Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma, and Mississippi. Conservatives have called the law ineffective, inconveniencing, possibly unconstitutional, and hypocritical. The state's sports teams have turned to private funding to get around the restrictions, according to the Los Angeles Times. 
So the, now people are already pl- like have plans my, in place to get around the ban. My first question: Why are they funding uh, gender transitions? By no, 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 not that. Why are they oh, funding, funding travel? Why are they funding the travel with taxpayer money in the first place? Because it's all state run. That's that's <laughs> some Weasley shit right there. It is, but because did... like, this is kind of funny. Like it, it's just like what uh, New Jersey is doing right now with. Uh, they're like trying to spread their gun control laws to the rest of the country. California is trying to like, you know, basically force other states to pass laws similar to theirs. It's like, no, we don't want anything to do with your fucking dumpster fire of a state. If we like, see how well it's working out for you, stay away. And and here's the thing. I'm a part of the LGBT community. I am not He's the L in... part. <laughs> yes, I'm the L part. Lizard. I'm I'm the B part. But lizard, <laughs> I'm the lizard. But here's the thing: I'm not transphobic. I don't give a fuck about trans people. You do you, I'll do me. Just don't shove your shit down my throat. The thing about it is, when it comes to gender dysphoria, when it comes to sex changes, if you actually look up the statistics, a very large portion of transgender people that get sex change operations commit suicide afterwards. Why is this? Because they realize it didn't help with anything. Because they have a mental issue that they need psychotherapy for. Not cut off their penis or build a fake one. It's not going to help. So the idea of the government taking tax dollars and funding this procedure that is not going to help the individual whatsoever is just ridiculous. You mean like funding gun control laws? Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't help anybody. It helps the government. But I'm sure that, you know, that's enough to get labeled as transphobic. I'm not... I'm just a realist. I'm I ain't sorry. scared no trans people. We'll take this outside. Oh, God. <laughs> but with that said, that brings us to the end of our first segment. So have fun with a tiny little break, and then we will jump right back into it. Hell yeah. Did it go this time? Yeah, it did. <laughs> but now I can't use it. Thanks. <laughs> and we are back. Hells Yeah. So, jumping right back into it, this first article was posted by Jason Booth on Tuesday, September 17th. This article comes from AJC and was written by Tai Tagami. The headline is, Preschool Growing Fruits and Veggies Ordered by City to Stop Sales. Of course. Yeah. The national farm to school movement has grown so fast that it is challenging traditional notions of city planning, and a Clayton County preschool is at ground zero in the conflict. Stop planning cities. The Little Ones Learning Center in Forest Park has a nationally recognized garden-based education program. In 2015, it merited a visit by then-First Lady Sandra Deal, who watched the children tasting fresh juice. Quote, It was a treat to see your early learning center practicing good nutrition with a bountiful garden, she wrote in a letter to the school. The primary goal has been to influence food preferences of children and their parents, but the preschool also wants to give residents in the surrounding neighborhood access to quality fruits and vegetables. In 2018, Little Ones started a bi-monthly farm stand for sales to parents uh, and neighbors. The produce was both grown in the garden and brought in from nearby farms. This summer, City Hall shut it down. Little Ones, it turns out, is in a residential area that is not zoned for farm stands. Fuck. Quote, Anywhere you live, you've got to have rules and regulations, Forest Park City Manager Angela Redding said. She continues, 
Otherwise, you would just have whatever. What's wrong with whatever? Quote though, I love that quote. It's like she doesn't even have a legitimate reason for this. It's just like without the regulations, you just have whatever. And what's wrong with this exactly? What's wrong with having a little bit of whatever? Yeah, that, that honestly, that quote kind of pisses me off. She didn't even bother saying it would be anarchy. No, it's like, otherwise you would just have whatever. But the article continues. I'm now a whateverist. <laughs> little One's proprietor, uh, Wanda Okunaran Meadows, believes the law needs to change. She went to a city council meeting in early September to say so. The city has so far refused to amend it, but has offered to let her sell her goods on a city-owned property. It is outside the neighborhood Okunoran Meadows wants to serve, though, and it is inconvenient, uh, an inconvenient location for the parents who buy much of the food. That quote, Location, though, location, location. Yeah, but that quote kills me. Anywhere you live, you've got to have rules and regulations, otherwise you would just have whatever. It's like, you don't even have a legitimate fucking argument for your rules and regulations. It's like, you just have whatever. Like, go fuck yourself. Maybe I want whatever. Maybe (laughs) I want you to fuck off and out of my life. That is just the most lazy response and justification for a bullshit law that I've ever seen from a government official. They didn't even try with the whole it would be chaos, it would be anarchy, people would be criminals for no you would reason. Just have like, a whatever. They they didn't even try having an argument, just super lazy whatever. Like you sound like an angsty teenager. Yeah, you would just have a whatever. Like <laughs> seriously, go fuck yourself. But this next article was posted by Jason Booth on Monday, September sixteenth. The article comes from Vice, and it was written by Francisco Alvarado. The headline is, These cops are seizing cash from people who smell like weed before they fly to California. Smelling like cannabis and buying your ticket right before your flight from this Florida airport are apparently great reasons for cops to take your stuff. On June 17th, Curtis Simmons was in the JetBlue kiosk area of Fort Lauderdale International Airport's Terminal 3 when he was approached by two unarmed, plainclothes detectives. The 32-year-old from Elkridge, Maryland, had just purchased a ticket for a 7.15 p.m. nonstop flight to Los Angeles. Quote, I had missed my flight the day before, and I had to rebook with a different airline, Simmons said in an interview. As soon as I printed out my boarding pass, they surrounded me. When police finished their impromptu interrogation, they told Simmons the $11,290 was being seized for civil forfeiture. The process by which law enforcement agencies can take cash, homes, and other property from people suspected of being involved in illegal activity without charging them with a crime. It's a practice critics have long claimed police departments use to pad their own budgets and generally lends itself to abuse, one the Supreme Court sought to rein in earlier this year. As it turns out, people traveling to California who smell like weed and are carrying large sums of cash appear to be regularly getting their money taken away from them at Fort Lauderdale International Airport. A review by Vice of Broward County Court Records found the sheriff's office had filed at least 15 other civil asset forfeiture complaints against 19 individuals since 2016, all under circumstances similar to those in Simmons' case. Two seizures occurred the same week deputies took the money in Simmons' possession. In every one of the 16 recent complaints, 
the Broward County Sheriff's Office alleges cops approached individuals seemingly at random, that their belongings smelled like cannabis, that they had purchased one-way plane tickets with a final destination in a California city on the same day or a few days earlier, that a police canine detected the odor of narcotics on the money they carried, and that they provided untruthful and evasive answers as to the source of their funds and the reasons why they were traveling to the Golden State. In some cases, the individuals also had multiple cell phones. For those reasons, the money was seized on the presumption the individuals may be involved in drug, uh, drug trafficking, the complaints state. But a review of the complaints in Broward's criminal court docket shows that only three people stopped by the task force were arrested for drug possession the same day they were stopped. None have been charged with a drug trafficking crime. Meanwhile, in the past three years, the Broward County Sheriff's Office has seized $189,678 in this fashion. Jesus fuck. They're just using the same excuse you know, over and over. I smell <coughs> cannabis. The dog smells cannabis. Um, We're just going to take your money now. I would really prefer some whatever right now. <clears throat> yeah. Like, <laughs> fuck these rules and regulations. Give me some whatever. Yeah, and I don't understand, like... How are more people not against civil asset forfeiture? Like, well, it's literally... Blatant. I did smell like weed. I guess they can take my money. But they use the exact same thing, like, in every single fucking one. They just bought a one-way uh, plane ticket to California. They were seemingly approached at random. Their clothes were claimed to have smelled like cannabis. It was claimed that the dogs smelled cannabis. Which, how do you know the dog smells cannabis? Because yeah. they normally train them for bullshit. Yeah. And it was claimed that they were uh, evasive with their uh, with answering the questions as to where the funds come from. And most it's people like, are evasive what? with all questions towards police. When the police just randomly decide to interrogate you, because that's what that is. It's not just a friendly questioning. That's interrogation. Yeah. Most people are evasive because, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, like I'm you just be trying doing, to catch my don't flight. Be, don't be evasive. Invoke your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Oh, but that's evasive. Yeah, <laughs> you're. If you're afraid that saying something will incriminate you, saying nothing is going to incriminate you. Yeah, that's basically how civil asset forfeiture works. They don't have to charge you with jack shit. There it's, does not have to be a. Crime all they have committed. to do is pretend they're suspicious. Yeah, they just have to say, <laughs> "Oh, I suspect you committed a crime," and then you're instantly guilty until proven innocent. Now you have to go to court to prove you're innocent to get your shit back. So like, I suspect you committing a crime. Let me show you what a real crime looks like. I'm gonna steal your shit. Yeah. So fuck the police. Fuck the government. Fuck and civil this, asset forfeiture. And fuck Donald Trump for being for it. And this, this is one of the biggest reasons people are having a hard time pushing uh, weed decriminalization legislations. Mm -hmm. This is one of the biggest reasons that so They'll many places... They'll no longer be able to say, I smelled cannabis, I'm taking all of your belongings. Now they're going to have to say, I smelled cocaine. It's like, oh, so you used cocaine then. <laughs> How you, did you smell it, officer? Why did you go up to this guy and start using his cocaine? <laughs> yeah, it's horseshit. But this next article was posted by Ryan Bauer on Friday, September 20th. The article comes from Reason and was written by Billy Binion. The, That's a cool name, Billy Binion. But the, uh, the headline is, Cops accused of stealing over $225,000 can't be sued thanks to qualified immunity. <clears throat> the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has, has ruled that Fresno police officers accused of stealing more than $225,000 while executing a search warrant are protected by qualified immunity and thus cannot be sued over the incident. While the unanimous panel acknowledged that, quote, the city officers ought to have recognized that the alleged theft was morally wrong, it concluded that they, quote, did not have clear notice that it, was, uh, that it violated the Fourth Amendment. 
In other words, the cops weren't equipped with enough information to deduce that robbing people is a violation of their constitutional rights against unreasonable searches and seizures, a bizarre interpretation of the law to say the least. In 2013, the Fresno Police Department carried out a raid on Micah Jessup in Britain Ashijan, Ashijan? Ashijan. Who, I'm really liking Binion now. Binion. <laughs> who were suspected of operating illegal gambling machines, and neither man was ever charged. Upon completing the search, officers provided both with a ledger maintaining that they'd seized $50,000. Jessup and Ashton alleged that, in reality, the cops made off with $151,380 in cash and $125,000 in rare coins. Both men contend that the officers pocketed the difference between the funds reported with the warrant and the total amount they took amounting to a $226,380 in theft. Jesus Christ. Even so, the panel granted qualified immunity, a legal doctrine that, in the words of Reasons C.J. Sierra, uh, Sierra Mella, quote, allows public officials to violate a constitutional right so long as that right has not been clearly established by current case law. In theory, it protects civil servants from undue harassment. In practice, it allows those officials to get away with behavior that would land a normal person in prison. And that pretty much says it all. Like, mm -hmm. they straight up robbed these guys. Yep, and then they get <clears throat> qualified immunity because they didn't know the law well enough. They didn't know that this that robbing them why? would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. And if they don't know this, why are they intended to enforce the law? Why are you going to hire people to enforce the law if oh, they well, literally James, don't know the law? There's been court rulings that say that the cops don't have to know the law. And that cops can er make arrests and accusations based off of laws that they created. Such bullshit. If a cop believes something is the law, even if it is not... Apparently, they are within their lawful duty to arrest you, even though you were never breaking the law. Like the whole the, you know why filming. I, I feel like why they do this is so that people can't get their resisting arrest uh, charges dropped. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, sure, he, well, you weren't breaking the law, but, you know, the officer was acting lawfully by arresting you for not breaking the law. So, uh, yeah, the resisting arrest charge stays. Like, go fuck yourself. And see, part of resisting arrest being that you can literally execute a cop on the spot. Uh, they, don't, they don't want you getting away with that. Constitutionally, if, a, if an officer is acting outside of the law, you are lawfully allowed to resist arrest up to and including killing the arresting officer if necessary. They don't want that. They don't. So they're going to try and do everything they can to make it so that everything a cop does is automatically lawful. Yeah. They could make up a law on the spot that they're allowed to rape you. Mm -hmm. And if you tried to resist that with lethal force, well, you were wrong. You How assaulted an officer. He, he, he's really stressed out. He needs to blow <laughs> off some steam. He needs to blow off a load in your mouth. Like, just let him. It's Thus lawful. says the fucking neocons. Some bullshit. I may be right wing, but fuck conservatives. Oh my god, fuck <laughs> conservatives. Specifically, fuck boomers. Yeah, boomer conservatives are about the worst. That's about as bad as they get. It's the worst stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this next article was posted by myself. Oh, and just to preface this, we're getting into a little bit of Hong Kong news. Uh, Back on that shit. Yeah, so I'm just going to preface this. All three of these were posted by myself on Friday, September 20th. We got to the end of the week, and I realized we didn't have any Hong Kong updates, so I searched WSJ and Bloomberg. 
to snag some articles about Hong Kong so we could keep you guys updated. <clears throat> but uh, so the next three and because were, we love Hong Kong ourselves, I, this, yeah, this is some I love good this shit. news. But um, this was all three of these were posted by myself on fri- uh, Friday, September twentieth. This first one is from WSJ and it was written by John Leones, and the qu- headline is "You Don't Have to Face It Alone: Hong Kong Protests Propelled by Hidden Support Network." Most nights when Hong Kong fogs up with tear gas and black-shirted young protesters find themselves on the run from police, a middle-aged manager named Mr. Chan drives his silver Toyota four-door into the fray to ferry them home. After dropping off one group, he returns for more, carrying water and a bag of t-shirts for a quick disguise. He can log a hundred miles shuttling between conflict zones and the outlying apartment towers where many protesters live. He's part of what's known as, quote, the school bus, code for a vast underground of getaway cars typically driven by older middle-class Hong Kongers who want to support the younger generation protesting in the streets. One of the encrypted chat groups organizing the rides, also called, quote, after-school pickup, connects drivers it calls, quote, parents with protester, quote, children. The group has some 21,000 subscribers. Tens of thousands more subscribe to other groups. Mainland China and its hand-picked leaders in Hong Kong have argued that a silent majority of citizens opposes the demonstrators who have confronted police, blocked roads, and disrupted airport travel during a summer of protests against Beijing's tightening grip. A closer look suggests a a vast swath of the city is quietly helping to keep it going. Largely out of the public eye, behind-the-scenes supporters have sprung up across Hong Kong to furnish protesters with rides home, gas masks, Um, food money, and funds for legal defense. There's a doctor's group offering anonymous examinations to injured protesters wary of being treated at public hospitals. Another group offers to listen to young protesters who don't feel comfortable talking about what they are going through with their own parents. Quote, you don't have to face it alone, the group advertises in protester chat rooms. Its administrator goes by at come to mama. I love that. I need to get in on one of these fucking groups and find a way to run guns to Hong Kong. Yeah. Like, let me do this shit, please. <laughs> but uh, the article continues, Since June, activists have raised roughly $10 million in small donations to pay protester legal fees and medical bills. The fund is called the 612 Humanitarian Relief Fund after the date of fierce clashes when some protesters were charged with crimes that can carry a sentence up to 10 years, according to Margaret... Nguyen? NG. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. One of its organizers. Quote. Gwen? Margaret Ng. 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 Um, quote. It is significant because it shows how many people in Hong Kong want to show their support in some way but can't get out and protest, said Miss Ng, 71, Ng. a prominent <laughs> Hong Kong lawyer who served years in its legislature. So. This is really like a deep set thing right now. Like yeah. all the all the young kid, all the young people are out protesting, and then you have the older people are you know funding their legal fees, paying for medical bills, acting they're, as a taxi service, a free taxi service to get protesters out of the conflict zone. They're getting organized. They're Very getting organized. They're getting fucking militarized. They're becoming a, an efficient guerrilla army. They're not. It's no longer just protest. They have transportation. They if, have disguises. They are underground. They have. They're becoming a small guerrilla militia. 
That's well, you say awesome. small. Like this, we're talking about at least like a quarter of Hong Kong's population. Okay, fair. It is fair. a large fucking per, like percentage, but like we're talking about easy one or two million people. That are, Why can't we have that here? Right? But the thing is, if these guys, I wish our old th- people were as good as their old people. <laughs> yeah, if these guys get their hands on guns, whoo, and this does turn violent. They're already going to be highly organized, and you will see guerrilla, a guerrilla warfare revolution like we have never seen in the modern era, or the information era, technically. At least not in the new millennia. Yeah. But I'm interested to see where this goes. Like This just keeps developing further, and I'm glad that they're not backing down. I, I want to take time off from work. I want to fly over there, and I want one of our next episodes to be live in Hong Kong. Oh, like, God. please, yes, let me get in on this. <laughs> let me go kill some government officials. Okay, in that, another country, in another country. Still, hey. still jokes for legal uh, reasons. Goddamn legal reasons. <laughs> I don't know why we haven't gotten another visit from the FBI yet. <laughs> I really don't. But this next article Because comes no one likes our show. <laughs> This next article comes from, I'm sure they're aware of it, but uh, this one comes from Bloomberg, and it was written by Ian Marlowe. Uh, the headline is, Hong Kong pro- uh, police tortured and beat protesters, Amnesty says. Hong Kong police beat pro-democracy protesters in custody and committed acts that amount to torture during recent demonstrations, Amnesty International alleged in a new report that could fuel further unrest. Police used, quote, unnecessary and excessive force in making arrests, beat a protester for declining to answer a question, and then pinned him to the floor, shined laser pins in the eyes of people who had been detained, and threatened to electrocute a man's genitals after he refused to unlock his phone, the human rights group said. I've seen them electrocute a man's genitals over here for less reason than that. Yeah. Amnesty said... These cops almost sound reasonable. <laughs> Amnesty said it released its findings after investigation that included interviews with 21 arrest- arrested protesters, corroborating interviews with healthcare workers who treated demonstrators and lawyers representing people who had been detained. Out of 21 protesters interviewed, 18 were hospitalized for their injuries or Shit. illnesses related to their arrest and detention, the group said, adding that it also reviewed medical records. The rights group said it shared its findings with the Hong Kong Commissioner of Police on September 18th and also with several members of the, city legislative, uh, the city's Legislative Council. Amnesty said it publicized its findings without waiting for a formal response given, given the, quote, gravity of the abuses, escalating violence on both sides and the possibility the situation could deteriorate further in the coming weeks ahead of protests planned to coincide with the October 1st anniversary of 70 years of communist rule in China. Holy shit. So things ain't slowing down. Um, this, like, Keep the, that shit up. The funny thing is they're, they're trying to use police brutality as a method of dissuasion, which, I mean, what do you expect from the government? Their, their only tool is a hammer. They're going to treat everything like a nail, and they're going to be violent with it. What they're not realizing is this violence is only going to spur the protests further. It's fuel for the fire. Yes, it really, really is. They're trying to put out a fire with alcohol. It's not going to work. The fire is getting bigger and bigger. But piggybacking off of that article, this one also comes from Bloomberg and was written by uh, Blake Schmidt and Natalie Lung. The um, headline is, Nearly 1,500 arrests do little to deter Hong Kong's protests. As one of Hong Kong's protests became increasingly violent last month, Ventus Lau ventured near the front lines where demonstrators had ripped down smart lampposts and surrounded a police station. Fuck yeah. He got a whiff of tear gas. Then oh. the cops got him. 
Fuck. Police took Lau's phone and his octopus transport card, but he made bail with help from a fund that provides legal and medical support to protesters. When Lau checked in with police again on Friday, they returned the money. He was released unconditionally. Quote, I will still try to participate, said Lau, a 25-year-old writer who was raised in a public housing project. Quote, maybe I'll keep a low profile this weekend, then I'll see what I can do. Lau, who was arrested on charges including illegal assembly after organizing an August march, is among hundreds of demonstrators who found themselves ensnared by Hong Kong's legal system in protests that have morphed into a broader pro-democracy movement. But so far, the detentions have done little to uh, keep protesters off the streets. While police have made 1,474 arrests of protesters ranging from 12 to 83 years old, since June 9th, only about 200 or 14% have undergone judicial proceedings. Lau was held for 46 hours, including in a police detention center, which has been used to handle the overflow from the prison system. Under Hong Kong law, protesters can only be held for 72 hours without charges. Faced with growing denouncements of alleged police brutality, officers are becoming increasingly frustrated with the judicial system, particularly how demonstrators can get bail easily. In a press briefing on Friday, a senior police officer, who requested not to be identified, for obvious reasons, no shit. said it made little point to arrest people if the punishment wasn't enough to deter them from hitting the streets. He said only a handful of protesters didn't make bail. My response, good. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't arrest people if they get out that quickly and it's not enough reason for you to arrest them. Yeah, just leave them the fuck alone. But the article continues, What's worse, the police have struggled to win the battle for public perception. The, <laughs> the arrests risk fueling allegations of police brutality and even turnout as contention, or contentious detentions go viral or are live-streamed, including images of some demonstrators being wrestled to the ground. Detentions of a series of prominent pro-democracy voices in late August, including the re-arrest of Occupy leader Joshua Wong, helped fuel the worst weekend of violence in the city since its handover to Chinese rule in 1997. <clears throat> the police may be betting that the arrests may make people, quote, afraid to take up hardcore protests, said Chung Kim Wah <clears throat> of Hong Kong Polytech University's Department of Applied Social Sciences. Quote, but to clear up the antagonism from the issue will be extremely difficult. Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam conceded on September 4th to the main demand of with, uh, to withdraw a bill allowing extraditions to China, but she hasn't budged on the other requests for an independent inquiry into police tactics and the uh, release of detained pro uh, protesters, both of which could help defuse the standoff. The only thing that keeps turning me off in these articles, I love everything they're doing, but the only thing that kills me is every time I have to hear the words, Pro democracy. That does suck. Like that, but that that hits in a bad way. <laughs> at least it's a step in the right direction. It's at least a step out of communism. Yeah, like authoritarian communism. Yeah, like it's good to see that they are fighting back against China's very oppressive grip. Like right now, they're going pro democracy because they are the majority, and the majority wants freedom. Yeah. So they, they have a misconstrued idea of what democracy is, and they don't know what it really leads to. Because give, give it some time, the majority is going to want more authoritarian. stupid laws, more regulations and bullshit. Right now, the majority wants freedom. Let the majority fight for anarchy. Yeah. But they all feel like because they're the majority, that automatically rules them as a democracy, and they should do that. I, I wish there was a way to persuade them towards anarchy. Mm-hmm. But I don't speak the language. Yeah. But 
at least they're fighting. At least they're fighting to get out of under the thumb of their authoritarian dictatorship they've got going on over there. Yeah. So here's hoping things go in the way of the people of Hong Kong. But this fuck next, democracy. <laughs> this next article was posted by Jason Booth on Monday, September 16th. And this comes from Futurism, and it was written by Dan Rabitsky. The headline is, Formal, Former Google Engineer. Killer bots could commit, quote, mass atrocities. Hey, we talked about this before. Yeah. If governments turn control of their weapons systems over to fully autonomous machines, we may face devastating unintentional calamities or acts of war. Unintentional. Yeah. So warns Laura Nolan, a former Google software engineer who left the company in protest of Project Maven, Google's since-abandoned AI development program for military drones. <clears throat> she told The Guardian this week that there should always be a human finger on the trigger, lest the tech do, quote, calamitous things that were, they were not originally programmed for. Major military powers, including Russia, the UK, and the US, have he invested heavily in autonomous weapons, military drones, and battlefield robots. But the idea isn't as popular outside of military circles, with growing numbers of scientists calling on governments to ban fully autonomous weaponry. <clears throat> Quote, You could have a scenario where autonomous weapons that have been sent out to do a job confront unexpected radar signals in an area they are searching, Nolan told The Guardian, illustrating a hypothetical problem area, suggesting that a machine might mistake hunters for an enemy combatant and open fire. Quote, very few people are talking about this, but if we are not careful, one or more of these weapons, these killer robots, could accidentally start a flash war, destroy a nuclear power station, and cause mass atrocities, Nolan added. <clears throat> accidentally kill hunters. Now, see, that's that's a fun thing, because that's one they use a lot for uh, gun regulation shit. Like, yeah. you don't need this to <clears throat> hunt. So they're going to try and, like, restrict you to the point of hunting, and then they're going to accidentally kill hunters. <laughs> like... Hunters, wouldn't that be beautiful? Hunters are going to be. It's going to come to a point where hunters are going to be the last people that have weapons, and then they're going to accidentally kill hunters to deter them from getting weapons. Like they're going to try. Because the Second Amendment was totally, totally written for hunters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was used I in mean, case those damn deer try and take over. It was written for hunters. It was written for hunters of tyranny. Yes, kill that tyranny. Goddamn. <clears throat> tyrannical moose <laughs> the damn tyrannies <laughs> but uh this brings us to our second wild card of the show this is our ace card it was posted by myself on friday september 20th this article comes from cnbc and was written by amanda macias macias i'm not sure um the headline is pentagon will deploy u.s forces to the middle east after attack on saudi arabia oil facilities the Pentagon will deploy U.S. forces to the Middle East on the heels of strikes on Saudi Arabian oil facilities, U.S. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper announced Friday. Quote, the president has approved the deployment of U.S. forces, which will be defensive in nature and primarily focus on air and missile defense, Esper said, adding that Saudi Arabia requested the support. Quote, we will also work to accelerate the delivery of military equipment to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the UAE to enhance their ability to defend themselves, he added. President Trump has said that it, quote, certainly looks as if Iran appears to be responsible for the attack, but that he wants to avoid war. Esper reiterated that, you, that the United States does not seek a conflict with Iran and called on Tehran to return to diplomatic channels. <clears throat> he also said that there could be additional U.S. deployments if the situation were to escalate. On Thursday, if. 
The Pentagon called the recent strikes on the Saudi Arabian oil facilities as, quote, sophisticated and represented a, quote, dramatic escalation in tensions within the region. Boys, we gearing up for war again. It's happening. We're getting ready to get out of Iran and Afghanistan, or Iraq and Afghanistan, and we're going to go right the fuck into Iran. Just moving I'm calling next door. It now. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, uh, back during the Obama campaigns, Donald Trump was tweeting all over the place that as a power move and to show his balls and shit, Obama was going to go to war with Iran. So Donald Trump already already perceives going to war with Iran as a power move to get reelected. Yeah. <laughs> He already perceives it that way, and he's hoping everyone else does. So he's holding this off, at least for the rest of 2019. And then 2020, on election year, he's going to do it. Because he thinks that's a power move. He thinks that's going to get him reelected. So he's going to go to war with Iran, Saudi Arabia. With Saudi Arabia. Yeah, with Saudi Arabia. Iran by proxy. Who cares? But he's... Well, he's No, like it'll be side by side with Saudi, with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia just got attacked by Iran. Say against Saudi Arabia. He's going to said. he's you going said. to war with them. Not against. He's against one yeah. with the other whatever. Yes. War is war. No one wins. <laughs> he's going to war in this area where we're not currently at war. <laughs> For clarity. For clarity. He's 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 going into this new war more than likely in the hopes of getting elected. He's going to hold this well, off you know as his, the, as his con- big move. The conservative boomers are going to eat it up. Oh my god, they are. Because they are bloodthirsty motherfuckers. They love killing them brown people. For some fucking reason. Well, I mean, they grew up mostly in the civil rights era, so they, they aren't found, found, very fond of brown people. So. They're not. How dare you be darker yeah. than them? <laughs> but he's he's holding this off. It's his uh, Trump card, so to it's, speak. Yeah, it's his Trump card. Oh God! <laughs> so he he says he's not going to do it. He's he's trying to be sneaky. He's trying come, to be very very sneaky. I would say come summer of 2020, he's he's going to start a war for the sole purpose of getting reelected. I can see it happening. I can definitely that, see it. That happening. seems like some bullshit he would pull. I want to say I hope it doesn't happen, but with, with the way everything's going. You know, I could honestly see it that the U.S. hit the oil fields and it's like, yep, it was Iran. Yeah. I mean, this wouldn't be the first time the U.S. has carried out a false flag attack. So, I mean, shit, the Saudis would probably be in on it. Pearl Harbor, 9-11. All right, listen, guys, send out some of your drones, hit this facility. We'll be able to get it back up in three weeks anyways, but this will give us more reason to go to war with Iran. It's like, oh, yeah, shit, that sounds like a great idea. Why not? Bombs away. (laughs) But... Yeah, I figured that would be a good ace card because that, it looks like we're gearing up for another 20-year war. But, um... If they draft, I'm gonna fucking boogaloo. <laughs> I'll just shoot myself in the foot. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, had an accident. But, um, <laughs> with that said, uh, that brings us to in the end of this episode of Weekend Anjo, covering September 14th to the 20th. Uh, don't forget to tune in for our final episode of the series of Conspiracy Theories on Down the Rabbit Hole this coming Wednesday. And I believe that's really all the announcements we got. That's about it, yeah. Don't think we got anything. You guys stay sexy, have a good one, don't die. Hey, don't die is my line, you piece of shit. Oh, sorry, stay sexy and... uh, Don't die. There you go. (laughs) All right, guys. Until (laughs) next time.